Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Dr. Lawrence Simon. The show is The Stories We Live By. And today uh, we're going to be talking with psychologist Lewis Wynn, who wrote the book Healing the Hurting Soul, a Survival Manual for the Black Sheep in Every Family. And I want to discuss this with Dr. Wynn because he is really talking about a way in which stories become shaped. Our life stories end up being shaped in ways that can cause us great distress. And he also has practical ideas on how to reshape those stories, change those stories, change the relationships that are involved in the stories, and thereby be able to live a very different life uh, than uh, one lives as the black sheep, who it is, in his contention, almost always the individual who becomes the psychiatric patient. And so uh, we're going to try and talk and help people reorient and change the direction of their lives in, 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 this, in this way. And I'm waiting for Dr. Wynn to call in. Uh, Dr. Wynn is also a very serious critic of the psychiatric profession and uh, also will discuss the ways in which the psychiatrist often becomes enmeshed in families, not to help the patient but to help the family, and this can end up being extremely destructive. We're still waiting for Dr. Wynn to call in. Well, I haven't never have to admit I've never done this before and had a caller. I'm wondering if he's having some kind of difficulty. And if I have to, I will discuss his book until he finds a way to uh, get on. Uh, let me begin by discussing his basic ideas. He agrees with me that psychiatry is a bogus profession. It has no validity. It has no uh, uh, real ideas to, to contribute to a real understanding of human beings or the context and difficulties that... Um, that life can provide us, and these these difficulties are added to by labeling people with a name, and then often working to change people's behavior to uh, meet the demands of family or society, rather than to change behavior in such a way as to allow people to make an accommodation with their families, but to, in addition to that, um, I'm sorry, make accommodations with their families, but in addition to that, find a way to be an individual. And it's always been my contention that the most difficult thing uh, 
in life, or among the most difficult things in life, is to find a way to be an individual, but at the same time, uh, at the same time, I need your help. Uh, at the same time, the, uh, 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 the contention is to, to not go too far, to uh, be part of society. Take it in there. Oh. He's calling back in. And if Dr. Wynn can reach us, we will have this conversation. Otherwise, we're going to have to figure out maybe a different time to do the show. And uh, that'll be unfortunate because it looked to be a very interesting show. Uh, Dr. Wynn must be having difficulties getting through. I don't know why I'm not hearing him. I can hear. Yes. Hear you, Dr. Wynn? Yes, sir. Oh, oh, finally. Okay. We're going to have a lot of empty air time here, and our listeners, I hope, won't hang up on us. But I finally figured out how to do this. Okay. Uh, I've been introducing your book, Healing the Hurting Soul, A Survival for the Black Sheep in Every Family. Suppose we begin by you telling us, what do you mean by the black sheep? As I have uh continued in private practice now for a good 20 years and in various other capacities as a psychologist uh, be, uh, for a good 10 years before that, including being the uh, clinical director of the New Mexico State Hospital, I, I took a good look at the, people, the history of people that I was seeing. Uh, that is something that is very, very much neglected these days. Uh, most of the charts that uh, I've looked at, and I also spent some time as a surveyor for the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Healthcare Organizations. So 
I've, I've seen a lot of charts in addition to my own uh, clients, and I've seen that most people do not pay attention to histories. And it's the history that is really important because I have never met a client who did not have a history of some kind of trauma. Now, that word trauma uh, should not be too narrowly defined. It can be, for example, uh, a, tra a traumatic life just growing up uh, in a family where you were not a wanted child, for example, although you're never told that. Uh, but children pick up on certain things um, and, and they realize that there's something not quite right. And that would be an example of trauma. And, and of course, there are many others. So uh, that's the, fir the first step in becoming a black sheep, if you will, is that there are also family values. Now, I don't mean family values in the way that the uh, political right wing talk about family values. I'm talking about specific values in each family. I'll give you I'll give you an example in my own family. My own family there were two overwhelming values. The first one was education. You get as much of it as you can and there's no such thing as too much education. That was easy. That was I, I learned that before I was eight or nine years old. The other family value took me about 50 years to figure out, even though it should have been obvious perhaps earlier on. And that was personal appearance. Now, I don't mean physical fitness in that sense of personal appearance. I mean in my family, both sides of which were tailors. I mean they made clothes from scratch for both men and women. Personal appearance was very important. My mother would check me out before I went out of the house when I was 8, 9, 10 years old. Even if I was just going out to play, I had to present a certain kind of appearance. And so that was a, uh, an important family value. Now, all families have values, and they also have rules by which uh, these values are to be sustained and maintained. Now, when you get to be... 13 or 15, whenever you get to be confirmed or bar mitzvah or whatever, they don't give you a family rule book. But that doesn't mean that there aren't family rules. There are. It's well, just let me you don't know. interrupt you for a second. Sure. When you went out, you said it took you a long time to figure out that being well-tailored was the rule? Yes. Yes. So I assume then you walked around like an unmade bed? No, no, no. I walked around. I was wearing a tailor-made coat when I was eight or nine years old. My uncle, One of my uncles... Uh, made me a tailor-made coat, would you believe? Now, yes. this, again, is in, the, is in the north of England, in the textile district. So um, you, then, you then lived up to the family rule. I li yeah, I lived the family rule without knowing that it was an explicit family rule. And, and if I had violated that rule, believe me, I would have found out real quick that there was such a rule. In the same way as if I had decided not to become well-educated, I would have also found out that that was a family rule. And though the black sheep is the one who? Who, the black sheep, in, in his or her rebellion, be, uh, violates the, a, a family rule. Now, I need to point out, Larry, that, that when you get self-destructive uh, rebellion in teenagers, they rebel and they violate the most sacrosanct family rule. They don't just break any old rule. Uh, they don't just become difficult to deal with or difficult to handle. They violate one of the sacred family rules. Now, for example, if a family rule is, and we get this, for example, in the, uh, in the South, um, that, that's with a capital S, the, uh, the, the South of the United States, the old Confederacy, there is a military tradition that you do not see in other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. that, well, that military tradition is that every boy in the family goes into 
not only uh, the service, a certain branch of the service. Uh, and you get families that are United States Marines families or United States Army families or Navy families mm-hmm. and so on. Well, let us suppose a young man grows up and he decides not only not only uh, is he not going to go into, let's say, the, the U.S. Marines, but he's not going to go in the service at all. Now, if that is a paramount family value, that that kid will be hitting at that main value. He won't be hitting at education. He won't be hitting at religion. He won't be hitting at, uh, for example, in Hollywood families, you you have fame as uh, as a um, as FAME, fame as as a value. He won't be hitting at those values. He will be, or personal appearance for that matter. He'll be hitting at the value that the that the family holds most dear. Yes. So that's that's the way the black sheep starts. But the, remember, and this is, by the way, not an original idea with me, that is the idea of family triangulation. Um, there are three, there are three uh, points to a triangle, and in, in all disturbed families, I, I refuse to use the word dysfunctional, by the way, because I think it's a word that's lost all its meaning, but in, okay. in disturbed families, uh, there are, fa- these families are strongly triangulated, and the most important person uh, is the black sheep. But the black, the black sheep is also accompanied by, one, the rule enforcer. Now, the rule enforcer in a family is usually the firstborn of that generation. It could be, it could be male or female, it doesn't matter. Uh, although if it's a female, uh, closely followed in the birth order by a male, then that woman, that young woman, can expect to have a lot of challenge to her authority by, by the male. If she's three or four or five years older than the next one in line who happens to be a male, then she can probably assert her role as the, 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 the heir apparent, if you will, uh, without too much trouble. But the, another very important person, this is the third person in the triangle, is the person I call the invisible man or the invisible woman. This is the person uh, who answers to this question. Let us suppose you've got a client in your office and you say, look, if I'm going to really help you, I need to interview other members of your family. So let me ask you a hypothetical question. Let us suppose that all of the members of your generation and all of the members of your parents' generation are still living, all of the uncles, the aunts, and so on, and, of course, your parents. Let's assume they're all still living, and let's suppose that they all live within a reasonable radius of where we are now, let's say no more than 50 miles away. Okay, now, with those assumptions, answer this question for me. Which member of the family would it be generally agreed on by the family that I should not be allowed to interview. Uh, and, you, and of course, the, the family would come up with a person, usually, that, I, that I'm not allowed to talk to. That, that person is the one who is not only to be protected from me, but that person has been protected for a number of other reasons. And that role in the family is terribly important because the black sheep in, in the younger generation now is made to be, is almost like a sacrificial lamb. In fact, when I was thinking of a title for the book, I thought, should I use the word black sheep or should I use the word sacrificial lamb? Let me back up here, I guess. Yeah. Because I really, I, I'm losing the thread of this to a degree. Okay. All right. The black sheep um, is breaking the rules. Now, yes. is the invisible woman or man the person who sets the, the, the unspoken rule? No, these rules carry on in families for generations. And it's the rule enforcer in each generation that is entrusted by the family in making sure these rules are upheld. Right. But you see, the black, now, the what black role sheep... Does the, the, uh, I, I, this is where I, I need to understand, I think our audience needs to understand. Okay, go ahead. 
what exactly does the invisible man or woman have to do with the rules and the rebellion of the uh, individual who becomes the black sheep? Good question. Good question. The primary role of the black sheep is to, is to be sacrificed to protect the feelings of the invisible person. The invisible person has been involved in her, in her or his earlier life in some tragedy, some trauma, something terrible has happened in which he's clouded in a family secret. It could be sexual abuse. It could be a marriage outside the religion. It could be, it, it could be a, a criminal offense. It could be any number of things. But this person, the family has circled the wagons around to protect. But it's not easy to protect somebody without sacrificing somebody else, and that is the black sheep. The rebellion is a response to that demand for sacrifice. So that the, the black sheep now who is rebelling and the rule enforcer, Yes, they're not at all aware that this is going on. Well, not in, not in my not words. In terms but, of who they're protecting, that remains yeah, a, a secret and yeah. remains hidden. Yeah. What what I often say is, if if you'll allow the use of the word crazy for a moment, the oh, craziest please. person in the family is not the one in my office. The, it's usually the black sheep that's in my office because he or she comes to me and says, you know, I think I'm going crazy. There's something going on that I can't understand. I'm being, I'm being picked upon. I'm being ridiculed. I'm being put down by the family. And, and I, don't, I, I feel I'm being driven crazy. And, and that is what, what brings the black sheep into psychotherapy. Now, the black sheep is looking for what? Looking for what some black sheep usually sent. Because many of yes. the individuals you and I saw were individuals who became so confused and so upset and so self-destructive that they ended up being hospitalized or yes. brought in against their will. Yes. And, it, and it was the rule enforcer, in other words, the older brother uh, or older sister in the family who decided, hey, you need to get some help. Right. And now, they, it could be a, a um, parent, couldn't it? Oh, sure. Enforcer. Oh, yes, yes. In other words, the husband or the wife has the shameful secret. Yes. And then it's the child who rebels, and then the rule enforcer is the parent who says this has to uh, stop. But in fact, they don't want it to stop, do they? No, they don't. They, but they, they, they don't want the person who really needs the help to get into, uh, get into therapy. Why? Be because that person... Uh, seems to have the right to be protected. It may be the, the, the parent of the black sheep. It may be his mother. In other words, the grandparent of the black sheep. Right. But I'm going to complicate it for you. You think it's complicated already? I'm going to complicate it some more. Well, well family is, dynamics, I think this is the point we really got to make. Okay. That family dynamics can be enormously complex. There could be a number of secrets. There could be yeah. a number of dynamics uh, yeah. going on. And the, and the job of the psychotherapist is, is to clarify... Uh, it, well, that's the best word, is to clarify for the person in your office right. what is going on. So, so let me... The individual who's yes. the black sheep and who has now taken on the role of the psychiatric patient yes, yes. is going to be seriously damaged if, in fact, the therapist acts as an extension of the family ruling force. Well, as you know, our friend Tom Sass has made this point in at least one of his books where he says that... that when, when a therapist becomes involved with a family, he or she un unwittingly, unwittingly becomes a party to a conflict. There's a conf and, and 
nine times out of ten, and maybe even more, and I think I think Sass would agree, uh, nine times out of ten, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, takes the side of the family against the black sheep. Because that's where the money is, that's where the political power is in the family. Right. The, black, the black sheep or the psychiatric patient is powerless. Yes, and so if you then go to a psychiatrist who now drugs the black sheep, insensible, mm-hmm. you now have a, a, a rigidification. Well, the whole family dynamics can now yes. be held for another yes, well, generation to, until there's a new black sheep. Well, and I'll, I'm going to tell you in a moment how that happens. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of clients will say to you, you know, I'm being helped by the Paxil or by the Zyprexa or whatever. And, and the truth of the matter, in my opinion, is, yes, they are being helped in that they are being tranquilized. You remember, we used to call these drugs major tranquilizers. Yes. Uh, that became politically incorrect because it made it sound like a chemical straitjacket, which is what it is. Yes. But, but um, these, our clients do feel better under medication because their rage and their fury, uh, their families, has been dampened so they don't feel it quite so poignantly. Yes, yes. But let me, since you, uh, you uh, made a point a moment ago, I'm going to pick up on it, and that is what happens when the invisible man or woman dies? That person grows older and dies. Well, the family is so used to being triangulated that they need somebody to step into that role. Now, the person who steps into the role of the invisible man is the black sheep. That person has been trained for that role, to be protected, to be to be. Um, uh, put in a certain role uh, and have no say over what happens to yourself. And so the the invisible man, now now deceased, is replaced by the black sheep, and uh, the family now needs to find a new black sheep to take the place of the old one. Now the rule enforcer uh, can can watch over that. And, of course, the other thing to continue this is what happens when the rule enforcer dies? Well, a new rule enforcer steps into the role, and it... Very frequently, I, I have found in families, is the son or the daughter of the old rule enforcer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an intergenerational phenomenon, and, and families get used to operating in these ways. That's why they, they often say, well, isn't mental illness hereditary? Well, the answer is, no, it's not hereditary. It, uh, any more than alcoholism is hereditary, or Catholicism or Judaism are hereditary. It's just these are ways that families do business. And, and they're passed down uh, from father to son, mother to daughter, and so on. And therefore, our listener who, who, who feels that maybe they are the black sheep uh, really needs to find a way to extricate themselves yes. from this situation. Yes. But that's not easy, is it? It's very, very difficult. In fact, uh, I have, uh, in fact uh, not only the black sheep may want to extricate him or herself, but I have found also, and this usually is when the rule enforcer is a woman, that she may realize what's going on and say, I don't want this job. I don't like the way this family's operating, and she will leave town. And I've had more than one client, believe me, who have come from, uh, from out of town uh, to the town where I live, um, and uh, it's clear to me that they're trying to escape that uh, family demand to be the ruling forcer, and, and the invisible uh, person and the black sheep are easily identified in, in the family uh, from afar, but it's so difficult to escape because the influence of the family uh, reaches around the world. You know, it's interesting. I had a, uh, a colleague once I met at a conference who said that these families are families that operate with what she called the corpse in the living room. Uh-huh. 
that, that everybody is sitting around in the family and there's a corpse sitting someplace that everybody ignores. Exactly. And, and um, it's interesting, over the years, people who have said to me, every year they look forward to the entire family getting together for Thanksgiving or for some other holiday. And it ends up being the same disaster yes, every yes. year. Yes. But this piece of dynamic, this piece of crazy making, uh, uh, where everybody is following these rules and nobody is, is, is paying attention to what's actually going on. Yes. Uh, this, is what, this is why, by the way, and this is one thing for which we do have a certain amount of good data. Many years ago, I was the chief statistician at a very large mental health center. This was my, actually my first experience in mental health back in the early 70s. Uh, and I kept the statistics on this very large multi-service mental health center. And uh, what we noticed was that, uh, that new, uh, new uh, admissions, if you will, new intakes into the system at any level, uh, outpatient, inpatient, partial care, whatever, um, was cyclical. It would be cyclical. They would fall off during the summer, for example, and when school started, a lot of kids would get referred, and so there would be, the, the, uh, there would be a climb in the, in the intakes. And then uh, starting about uh, Thanksgiving, um, and through the Christmas holidays, it would become uh, very, very quiet. There'd be almost no activity uh, in, in that mental health center through the Christmas holidays in, in the early part of January. And then starting about January the 15th, the number of intakes took off like a rocket. And I maintain, and I guess people generally agreed with us, that, that uh, people, people uh, went home for the holidays and they tried to have a real good time and, of course, they got enmeshed in all of the triangulation and the family uh, garbage going on. And, and uh, when they got back home, they, he immediately went to get some help. Yes, yes, yes. And, and what's interesting, uh, I, this question, does the, um, the, the uh, invisible person ever show up? Because it seems to me, and by the way, I think it's important we say this on the air, there are no villains here. No, because the, the, these people are all enmeshed in a web, if you will, a web of deceit, if I'm not sounding too melodramatic. There's no malevolence in, in, in terms of the person right. who's re, who received yeah. the original well, trauma or who, who's deeply ashamed of some terrible event. Right. I, it has to well, be protected because they would fall apart or seemingly fall apart if this were all exposed. Yeah, I, what I say with a completely straight face, and I really mean this with every fiber of my being, there's no... There's no sarcasm here at all. I believe uh, firmly that there are no crazy people, but there are crazy-making environments. There are no mental illnesses, but there are mad-making histories. Yes. In other words, the, 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 uh, the finger, if you want to point a finger, you point the finger at the environment and at the history which has brought about this so-called craziness. But there is no mental illness. That whole idea is a sham and a fraud. And a very dangerous thing to all the people participating in it who then uh, get caught up and have their lives uh, 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 created in a story that <laughs> denies their individuality, that denies mm -hmm. real uh, comfort in the bosom of other people, that destroys love, destroys pride, um, and that when we as a profession uh, make our money by denying and ignoring the hard work that's necessary to become involved with these crazy-making situations, um, 
we're complicit in something that is uh, not particularly wholesome. Yes. And in any event, uh, I think this is more, more than just interesting. I think maybe we could do another show uh, sometime soon where I will get you online a little bit more um, with a little less clumsiness than I did in this particular time. Well, in the meantime, let me encourage our listeners to uh, go, to my, uh, go to the book's website, uh, healingthehurtingsoul.com, uh, take a look at some of the excerpts, and uh, what you will see there is what Larry and I have been talking about here. Yes, and I recommend your book most highly. It's very easy to read, uh, not very expensive, which I think is very important, and um, filled with interesting information. I, I myself wish the book was five or six times longer because um, I got, when I got involved and, and, and I wanted to see the details and where the edges connect, uh, I would have hoped that you had spent a lot more time writing it, although I appreciate the difficulty of writing a book like this, and I hope it sells at least a million copies. Well, it's doing very well, actually. It's doing very well. I'm glad. Um, I, I promised you as I was writing the book that I, that I could do it in less than 100 pages. And uh, I failed by three pages. That book okay. is 103 pages long, so it's not a long book. Okay, so I'm going to say ha uh, to goodbye to you. Okay. I'm going to say goodbye to our listeners. And, uh, again, I apologize for the little bit of difficulty at the beginning of this show. And I look forward to speaking with you and others next week, uh, next Monday. And uh, the title of that show is yet to be announced. And I wish all of you a good day. Take care and goodbye. Bye-bye.